year, only one train is rocking. Only one ride is rolling. And only one adventure can take you to the party on top of the world. All aboard, everyone, and welcome to Cinemarcade. This is the podcast about movies, video games, and the sparks that fly when those worlds collide. My name is Steve Guntley, and I will be your conductor on this nonstop express to the Uncanny Valley. Uh, who is joining me today? Well, <clears throat> mm. Mm, mm, uh, oof, oof. <laughs> uh, I've clearly been out in the Arctic polar cold too long uh, <laughs> uh this is jayban hey this is justin the know-it-all kid <laughs> oh god <laughs> oh no not the know-it-all kid throw him off the train already jesus yeah uh today is the first day of or no well no it's not the first day of december but when you're hearing this this is the first week of december which means we are going to be kicking off an entire month of holiday-themed movies and games. There's more than you might think. We definitely have enough to fill out this five-week month. We're very excited to be talking about a wide selection of Christmassy favorites, starting with The Polar Express from 2004. We're talking about this movie today. Uh, Dear Lord, is this a movie and a half? Uh, It's one I struggle with a little bit uh, because it uh, terrifies me to my very core. Uh, I don't know if that's a common uh, complaint about this movie, but it's a deeply frightening, upsetting movie and uh, a movie that I just kind of struggle with in general. It's like watching a clown. You're like, as an adult, you're like, clown's not going to kill me, but it's still deeply disconcerting. Yeah. You can't ever prove that a clown is not going to kill you. you Yeah, I feel like that's too much of an assumption. Um, so this movie came out on November 10th, 2004. It's directed by Robert Zemeckis and written by Zemeckis and William Broyles Jr. And it stars Tom Hanks, Daryl Sabara, Nona Gay, Jimmy Bennett, Eddie Deason, Peter Scolari, and the late Michael Jeter. Uh, and one of my personal like sleeper hit favorites, Josh Hutchinson. Um, which, did did like, some he was, mocap, right? He did some mocap. He's in this... I think completely underrated series called Future Man. Oh yeah, I, I like Future Man. I loved. Yeah, uh, it's it's a raunchy um, sci-fi comedy, and it's just so it's like it's a hidden joy. Like if you haven't had a chance to watch it, you should definitely watch it. Yeah, I liked that show. That one was fun. He's also in the very bad Five Nights at Freddy's movie right now. So, uh, but hey, it's making money apparently. Um, this movie is based on a 1985 picture book book by Chris von Allsberg, who you might better know as the author of Jumanji. Uh, I've never read these books, but Javen, you were saying uh, this is a big one for you when you were a kid. He is the original GOAT, greatest of all time children's book author. His his artistic quality were so, uh, it's so memorable, and it's like an art deco fused with, um, like, uh, like it's so beautiful the style of art is so beautiful and the storytelling is amazing there's a reason why what um his books like three or four of his children's books books that you know only last so many pages have been turned into movies yeah because they're spectacular and they get fixed in your imagination it's a hard sell you know yeah like we mentioned jumanji was the other big one uh, the other big uh, chris van allsberg book that was turned into it i would argue that that book probably lends itself a little bit better to a feature length film than maybe the polar express does which uh, we'll we'll get to that as we talk about the movie but tom hanks optioned the rights to this book back in 1999 and he brought the idea to his friend uh, robert zemeckis who directed him in forrest gump and castaway uh, the original stipulation on the sale was that the film could not be animated. That was what uh, the Van Allsburg estate uh, specified. It could not be animated. Uh, But Zemeckis felt that doing a live-action version of this movie wouldn't be possible, or at least wouldn't be 
uh, good or it would be hard to look at. Uh, and so they kind of came up with a workaround. They landed on a compromise, which is that the movie would be a hybrid of live action and animation. So meaning all of the characters, everything that we're seeing on the screen are animated, but it's all done in motion capture. So uh, we're, we're getting more realistic movements of characters and things like that. And you have more uh, expressive performance, or at least that's the idea. Now, this, of course, would require an obscene amount of money. But Zemeckis at this time was coming off of just an absolutely unbelievable run stretching back to the 80s. All right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to run it down mem- off the top of my head again because I did this yesterday. I'm going to do it again. This is Romancing the Stone, Back to the Future, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, Back to the Future 2, Back to the Future 3, Death Becomes Her, Forrest Gump, Contact, What Lies Beneath, Castaway. That's his run from 1984 to 2002. Run. That's an, an unbelievable run. run. Uh, some of the biggest money makers of all time are in there. So if anybody in the world has got the juice to make a movie like with a huge budget and a lot of experimental technology, it's Zemeckis. Uh, he was given close to $200 million to make this movie. This is the most expensive animated film of all time at this time. It has since been beaten by Tangled, I believe. The, the Disney film Tangled was more expensive. Um, now, initially, Tom Hanks was going to play every single role in this movie. <laughs> Um, he was going to do motion capture for everybody. I don't think he was going to do all the voices, but he was going to do the physical okay. movement for everybody in this film. And uh, that proved to be exhausting, as you can imagine, trying to pay uh, hundreds of different characters at once. So he whittled his roles down to five, and uh, they he did the motion capture for the child lead as well, which is really interesting to look at knowing that like you can definitely see a little bit of tom hanks in the way that that kid moves Mm -hmm. like if you watch a lot of tom hanks movies it's very interesting um so yeah upon release this movie became like kind of a slow rolling hit like uh, when it came out it opened the same weekend as the incredibles and it got its lunch absolutely eaten uh but it stuck around you know they 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 rolled it out over the next couple months and it became like this christmas like perennial staple for a lot of people now i was already an adult when this movie came out um but i have a younger (laughs) brother who is 23 years younger than me and this movie was on constant rotation for him when he was a kid apparently like my mom got very sick of it uh luckily i was already out of the house so i didn't have to watch it a million times but yeah he had this movie on a constant rotation so this movie definitely resonated a bit with uh, a younger audience and so i'm trying to I'm trying to look at this movie through that lens a little bit because I I don't like picking on kids' movies for the most part. Like, if they're not, like, wildly offensive or cruel or stupid, then, you know, I kind of want to meet it on its own ground. But there is something about this movie that is so disconcerting. And a lot of the reviews uh, commented on this at the time. You know, it's like you have this incredible technology. A lot of the animation is very lush and it looks really nice. And then you get to the human figures, and they're moving like people and they're talking like people and their eyes are just dead and their faces are expressionless. And it's just, it's a big, big problem. You know, I, I kept thinking like, am I just too hard on this movie? Am I remembering it too harshly? And within the first opening minutes of rewatching this movie this morning, I'm just like, yeah, this is a huge problem, right? Am I alone in this? I guess for me, it's not because in my head, I've always considered it a different category. So, like, the suspension of disbelief is kind of... I I don't look at it and go, this is people. I look at it and go, this is animated people. And I played a lot of video games, stuff like that. Yeah. And so this was better than most video games were doing at that time. And so, to me, I was able to separate out the fact that they're not people. And they, they aren't... to me close enough to being like photorealistic or anything yeah Um, i mean yeah i so i don't know i i I watch this movie and then i'm just like i'm like watching it watching it and then i'm like ah look at that movement or ah look at that face or eek is that a smile Eek, is that a smile? <laughs> I'm going to say that next time I watch this movie. Obviously, I'm going to watch it a lot. Um, <laughs> and it's just like, I don't know, because like, again, uh, I mentioned before, the Chris Van Allsburg artistic style is spectacular. Yeah. And so I just like the, 
really shy away from using that style and that which is very stylized and maybe too stylized for I'm not going to say it's too stylized for for children because it was clearly not too stylized for children when it was a children's book right uh, but um, I definitely feel disconcerted and there are moments when like things work and you're like okay this is working yeah and it just it it, it feels jarring because it just keeps taking you out of the movie uh the the bad motion capture and i was like and i think it, and it, it i'm super curious whether or not it's because like we're all watching these on you know like 48 inch televisions like with ultra high def yeah uh, and like I don't know, like, I can't help but think that maybe if I was watching this on a VHS, it would uh, be more See, permissible. Maybe. I saw this movie for the first time, uh, I think it was a fourth grade field trip on IMAX. So, that was like... Oh, that, that's this would look good on IMAX, yeah. Hey, yeah. I, didn't, I don't remember noticing anything off, but again, I've always had this separation of like, I... I naturally don't expect the best, most fluid movement because I'm used to seeing so many jankily animated things over my life sure. that to me, this any of that jankiness just kind of goes into a category of like my brain smooths it out so automatically. You were a child when you first saw this. Did yes. you did it fill you with Christmas magic? Or... I have never been filled with Christmas magic. <laughs> oh no. Uh, in fact, my mom has a fun story. Where uh, I didn't believe in Santa for a few years before I told my mom. Uh, and so my parents had to go through those few years of keeping up everything. And uh, eventually my mom asked, and then I told her, yeah, I don't. And my mom goes, when did you stop? I'm like, oh, like three years ago. Oh. Like, what? <laughs> I've been doing all of this for three years. I'm like, yeah, no, I stayed home. I stayed up really late to watch a movie on my TV in my bedroom. There's a tiny TV. I had, like, the brightness and contrast turned down really low. And it was the Cowboy Bebop movie that I was watching <laughs> okay. on Adult Swim. And so I heard my parents doing all of the presents and stuff downstairs. Oh. And I was like, huh, unfazed. Okay, yeah. Made no difference to my life. <laughs> I, I think, yeah, I, I guess that's a good thing to bring up now at the beginning of this month-long series. Like, are we uh, are we Christmassy people in general? Do we get excited about the holiday season? Is it more of a stressor uh, for each of us or um, mostly kind of indifferent? I don't know. I I feel like I never really, like, decorate or, or get super festive with it, but I do also, like, I'll put just Christmas movies on rotation all month, and I'll, I, I get very excited about, like, presents for people and, and you know, little little traditions like that. I, I enjoy the festivities. The, the gifts, I'm not the world's biggest fan of. Okay. Um, you can ask my mother, who's been hounding me for months for Christmas lists, and I'm oh. like... I she's like well it would just give me a list of things that are like you know under fifty dollars so we can have at least a few things and I'm like I don't I bought them all <laughs> I kind of do that too I'm told I'm hard to shop for because I I just buy stuff whenever I want it yeah. yeah like why would I wait four months uh, for Christmas for something that I want now for a thing yeah. Um, but I do enjoy having people together, friends. I enjoy getting gifts for other people, which yeah. is, uh, I guess interesting. Like, I don't care if anybody gives me gifts, but like, uh, I have gifts for like most of my family already. Yeah. And then, and then my mom was like, yeah, we're just going to do like a, a secret Santa thing where we each just buy gifts for one person. And I'm like, all right. Yeah. <laughs> well, everybody's getting a gift from me anyway, so. Yeah. Oops. How about you, Jay Van? Do you do you get into the holiday spirit? I do get into the holiday spirit, and I think that um, uh, I love Christmas music, but I don't listen to after Thanksgiving. Yeah. Um, I'm very strict about that, um, and I love offbeat Christmas albums like there's this one called Socks by JD McPherson mm. it's so good and then Sharon uh, Jones and the Dap Kings do a, a holiday soul album mm. that is spectacular um, so I love the I love the upbeat Christmassy music I love going to places like Six Flags over the Christmas period and seeing all the lights yeah 
Uh, I'm not much of a light decorator myself. I do like to have a Christmas tree um, occasionally, uh, but I definitely love the um, I love the vibe of Christmas. I love the the the, the magical um, realism of Christmas of like if anything's possible and um, yeah, like I, I I like the magic of Christmas. Yeah, I I. F- I you know I want to and then like I feel I always feel like I'm a cynic that I'm not getting into this movie and it's like very generally pretty sweet message but I I find it just a little cloying and a little too try hard and just also like weirdly dark now I'm wondering if this is just like a an offshoot of uh, Van Allsburg's style like because Jumanji got turned into a pretty dark movie yeah. too. Now, is that just like his work that sort of lends itself to that it kind of vibe? Yeah, definitely yeah? lends it to that vibe. Okay, all right. So they're just picking up on something because I was just always a little baffled by why this movie chose to go kind of dark and spooky with it. Like, at first you're seeing it and you're like, okay, so it's got like, it's got like kind of Christmas Eve vibes, which are which is honestly my favorite time of Christmas when I was a kid is the Christmas Eve. It's like when everything's dark and yeah. still and quiet. But this feels ominous in a way that I never associate with Christmas. You anticipate an anticip like there's an anticipation, but there's not a darkness in the way that this movie seems to be going for. Uh there's also a ghost. There's a ghost hobo. Like it, what happened? Did he get hit by the train? An angel. I don't know. He goes like he 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 referred to himself as a ghost. Okay. But he prefers the term uh, gobo. A gobo. gobo. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, yeah, there, there are little elements like that. And just the fact that, like, there's so much peril in this movie, like just getting them from the, the their so, home to the North Pole. I went to Dave and Buster's recently um, and uh, there's like this um, uh, thing called the typhoon. And you two, you two people sit in there and they basically like. Uh, like jerk you around like you're in a um, roller coaster. Okay. And that reminded me of this. 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 It feels like this was meant to be seen in IMAX because there's so much of like you're on a rail and you're going do 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 left right left right up down. Uh, so I was super curious whether or not this had like any arcade games. Um, like because I, I feel like it definitely fits it. That's the weird thing, too. Yeah, it just... Okay, so this is a very short, simple children's book, right? Like, the basis mm-hmm. of it is a very short and simple kind of message. And I think... So the the book, correct me if I'm wrong, is just, like, kid doesn't believe in Christmas anymore. A magical train shows up, takes him to the North Pole. He meets Santa, goes back. That's basically it, right? Yeah. So, like, this whole journey in between, they really need to stretch... And so they, Zemeckis, of course, has all these new toys that he wants to play at with. So he's got all these really elaborate set pieces. And some of them are like in a vacuum. They're fun, you know, like the, the train going across the ice like looks pretty cool. And there's a good sense of momentum when they're going down these really steep grades and kind of doing this roller coaster thing. But other times it just feels like we're, we're spinning things out for time just to kind of pad this to a 90 minute movie. And that just makes it feel really disjointed, you know, like take the scene with the ticket. Okay. The ticket like falls out of the train and then we spend like a good five minutes just following this ticket as it wafts on the breeze and like kind of weaves in in and out of things. Very Zemeckis uh, feather from Forrest Gump. Totally. Let's clarify here. The ticket doesn't just get free. The right. kid loses it. The kid loses it. Look, that kid is messing stuff up. That kid, everything that goes wrong can be traced back to that child to some degree. Because, um, man, that kid needs to just stay out of it. And also, stop asking everybody, are you sure? Are you sure? Yeah. And giving them immense amounts of self-doubt. I always thought it was really interesting that both the, the two children that are, are being picked up by the um, Polar Express were like, oh, no, I don't want to go. I'm sorry. Who the fuck? A magical train comes to take you to the North Pole. You hop on that fucking train. I'm I am g- not getting on the train. What? Are you kidding me? No <laughs> way. You are severely underestimating how great it is to go back to your bed. <laughs> That's a good point. I wasn't even thinking about that. I'm thinking like, there's a strange man with a car full of children, and he's taking me to a mysterious place. Like, I'm not getting in that. Look, if it was any other time, if it was before I went to bed, fuck yeah, let's go. Magic school bust me up, fam. Thanks. But 
Uh, I, man, I want to go back to sleep. The amount of things that I've gone back to sleep for. You can high. sleep when you're dead. It's just, Get on the fucking train. Yeah. But you will die faster if you don't sleep. So I think you'll die faster if you get on that train. Honestly. I mean, look, like, honestly, that's, that's they terrifying. all almost died on that train. I mean, between uh, so like we get like we said that we, we whittled down the Tom Hanks roles to just five. And the most prominent one is the train conductor who's like rather curt and is uh, constantly kind of getting in these kids faces about these rules that they're not following that they don't know. And, you know, like I, I think the biggest problem that uh, I'm getting here... One kid knows them. Oh, yeah. One kid knows them. And I, also, how does he know? Is he, like, riding on it every year? He likes year? trains. Yeah, okay. He, he likes trains, so therefore he knows all the different, mid, like, minutia of traveling to the North Pole to meet Santa Claus. Like, so that's a little confusing. I think this movie does a poor job of bringing us into its world, in a way, I think. You know, because it is there's a dreamlike quality to it that I appreciate. You know, this magical train shows up and you get into it and you just travel along. But then it's just taking so long to get to where it's going. And, and they're throwing the all these weird rules. impromptu musical numbers. <laughs> yes. Like if it was more consistent with that, instead of just a bunch of crazy waiters jumping out, then, singing an insane song about hot chocolate and then leaving. How many kids are on that train? Like 10, 15? That is a lot of effort. For one train, it's a lot. Of that's a lot train. of effort for eight, ten kids. One whole train, everything around the there's like the wait staff to kid ratio is like one to one. Yeah, but and again, all they do is serve hot chocolate. That's all they do, and then they all look like clones of each other. But again, there's a lot of logistical issues to this. All right, so the Polar Express takes. A handful of kids up to the North Pole for the honor of receiving the first gift of Christmas from Santa. Only himself. one of them does. Only one of them gets it uh, out of these 10 that are supposedly deserving for various reasons or another. But why is it then so dangerous to get there? Why do they need to go through all of this trial and all of this like horrible stuff and uh, follow all these so, obscure rules just so they can go and get the, also, a present? When the one girl's ticket gets lost, what, what do they do with her? Yeah, exactly. They they seem to be escorting her off. Like, there seems to be a threat that they're going to throw well, her off the train. But then they also escort her to the front of the train. However, it appears as though they do it over the top. Yeah, which is so dangerous. They climb onto so the dangerous. roof of the train. You couldn't just go forward? You couldn't take her? Right. Like, if that was the idea? Like, like, I'm just saying, I wouldn't trust my children with any of these people if no. I had children. No, um, and uh, again, meeting it halfway, there's the it's the dreamlike thing, right? You know, there's not, there's some dream logic going on where like sometimes people go in one door and come out another that they shouldn't be connected to it in any way. Like, I get that. I think there's just a lack of cohesiveness in this story that's really pulling it together. Like the technical showcase is really priority number one with this movie. And so with that, everything else just feels a little cynical, you know? It, it just feels like, okay, let's yeah. let's cram a saccharin of a Christmassy message into this film just so I can show off my nifty new toys. And the problem for me is that Zemeckis <laughs> had a really hard time getting out of this hole once he got into it, okay? Like, he used to be one of my favorite filmmakers. I think Polar Express kind of marks the transition point when he stopped being interested in story at all and just started being interested in toys because his next two movies are going to be more motion capture. It's going to be uh, Beowulf, which we will talk about on the yeah. show, and A Christmas Carol with Jim Carrey. And then in between and then his la his live action movie started suffering too. Like that that Witches remake is awful, that Pinocchio remake is awful, uh, Welcome to Marwin is terrible. Like there's a lot of he had Flight in there which is good and Allied is pretty decent, but like there's a lot of like garbage that kind of came after and to me it feels like he's completely lost what made him special and it's not necessarily the polar express's fault but that is the beginning of it i always think it's so interesting about like why i don't understand why in these mocap films they keep thinking that we need just one famous actor to play like 20 roles like yeah in a christmas carol with jim carrey and in this with tom hanks it doesn't make any sense now hanks talked about this a little bit he said this idea appealed to him because it's it's kind of like a uh like a theater experiment it's like doing theater in the round or like a yeah. black box thing where you are playing multiple characters in the same show like just through your physicality and through your voice 
And he said this is kind of like the next high-tech stage in that evolution where you get to play all that. I can understand that a little bit. I can understand why it might be a fun acting challenge for somebody. Uh, but it just feels vain, I guess. It feels, it feels uh, hollow in a lot of ways. And it just feels like we're not really fleshing out any of these characters in any way. Like, well, let's talk about our main character, this little boy who's just sort Can- of like wandering through this movie and he's just expressionless and joyless throughout all these wondrous things that he's seeing he just doesn't really seem all that interested he's very skeptical and i'm like dude you could be skeptical before the polar express arrives but you can't be skeptical after it seriously the moment he steps on that train the movie falls apart because he can't be skeptical anymore they give one person a name yeah yeah billy is the only one who gets a name through the whole movie the subtitles and the casting refer to the main character as Hero Boy. Hero Boy, yeah. Which is also a weird name. It's a weird name. And then the girl is Hero Girl. Right. Yeah, They uh, the voice of Hero Boy, incidentally, is Daryl Sabara from the Spy Kids movies. So, like, it's not Tom Hanks pitched up, which... If you watch the original trailers for this movie, that's what it was. Oh. It was Tom Hanks pitched up, and I think they realized, oh, yeah, this is creepy. Yeah, let's let's put in an actual child into this movie so we're not, like, terrifying everybody. But it's—I just find this kid to be, like, such a vacuum of charisma. And I know he's an animated little boy, but, like, there's just, <laughs> like— I, I didn't feel anything for this kid. I didn't feel any empathy. I didn't feel any because he just feels kind of like a marionette. Yeah, the hero girl was much more um, charismatic. Absolutely. Yes. And like little Billy is kind of the sad sack boy, but he still sort of deserved the first gift, you know, if like that's such yeah. an honor. Like I feel like he should have gotten the first gift, right? Mm-hmm. Because hero boy really does nothing but kind of fuck shit up you know <laughs> he comes in is like immediately starts pulling levers and flipping switches and knocking the train off the tracks you know stealing tickets it's like oh no she left her ticket behind i better go give it to her she's never coming back yeah I... do you think he's already checked tickets <laughs> Also, there's no real stakes for the tickets because she didn't have one and she got to go drive the train. Also, who puts a child in charge of a train? <laughs> Santa Claus, apparently. Uh, I That, to me, was absurd. Yeah. Um, however, I did enjoy the engineers. They were fun. Mm-hmm. Sure. Uh, yeah. I loved how they were using beards uh, as ropes. Both uh, uh, both played by the late Michael Jeter. This was his oh. very last film. Uh, and do yourself a favor. I don't know if we've talked about this on this show before, but do yourself a favor and look up some of his uh, Tony Awards performances. He's one of the most insane gifted dancers you'll ever see in your, in your life. Uh, he passed away uh, in, I think, 2003, and this movie's dedicated to him. But he is unbelievable. Uh, yeah, no, the, those engineers are fun. That sequence is fun, like where the, the pin falls out. And they're trying to catch it, and like, there's a lot of good like uh, physical yeah. comedy going on in that bit. You know, that's a scene where like this style of bombastic animation is working in the movie's favor. They're creating yes. a real sense of momentum. It feels kind of dangerous. I just, for me, I just don't associate Christmas with a feeling of danger. You know, like, and I don't know that that's just a natural fit, right? I don't think you're doing it right. No, yeah. Should I be like a, a scary Christmas every year? Oh yeah. Yeah, nightmare before Christmas. Sure, yeah, but That's even that doesn't feel be. dangerous. No. That feels that feels fun and pleasant, you know. Like, so it's I don't mischievous. know. And then we get to the let, let's talk a little bit about the North Pole because I feel like the, the movie is padded, but it's kind of working. It's got a little momentum mm-hmm. while it's on the train. It's literally got momentum while they're on the train, and I feel like. Things kind of fall apart for me when they get to the North Pole. The North Pole isn't as beautiful and as magical as I would have liked. No, it it looks like a clean Bavarian town full of, like, identical-looking elves wearing identical-looking clothes. Like, you look out at some points, and there's just a sea of red. It's just like... It's the capitalist version of the North Pole. Kinda. It's like they, the Disney World version, where they like they made it look nice, uh, like the thing where uh, 
everything is painted uh, a certain color so that it doesn't stick out, stuff like that. Right. Uh, and it's, it's, uh, it, it feels like a whitewashed version of it. And it, then Yeah, it's uh, a factory town in a lot of ways. Yeah. yeah. We were watching Rudolph, and at one point I was like, wait, this is very distinctly uh, inferring that uh, the elves have no <laughs> freedom. Right. They well, they get mad at one because he doesn't want to make toys and like you have to make toys. It's the only thing you can do. You're not allowed to do anything else. And I'm like, are you, are you guys okay? Let him do other things. <laughs> do They're, you guys need help? Do we here, do we need to send some freedom? Here in this movie, it's it's That's like a joke. <laughs> we need to send some freedom. Uh, that never I, goes well. In this movie, it it feels more like uh, like a cult mentality. Yeah. Yes. Right. Like like they're all wearing the same outfits and they're kind of. Fiercely devoted to Santa and, and Santa his ideals. Santa is the cult leader. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And of course, Tom Hanks is going to play Santa. And he's going to come out and be very, like, you know, uh, uh, paternal and very warm. And, and he does a great job with it. But there is just something a little ascetic and a little creepy about... Again, I'm using the word creepy a lot for this movie. But it's a creepy movie. I assume... It's so interesting that you keep saying that because, like, I feel like the mocap, like, animation is creepy, but I don't feel like it has some dark themes, but I don't believe that it's actually creepy. <clears throat> Sorry. Oh. Um, but, yeah, it, it's so interesting about, like, the dark themes. Like, I don't know, to go rewind a little bit, what was up with the hobo ghost? Yeah. Um, it just was such a dark, like, hey, you want a cup of joe? Like, why was that so frightening and like needlessly in there like I feel like they could have had like a, a couple of moments where you could have connected with that character a little stronger um, but it was just like what is this yeah who are you is he just meant to be like the Christmas spirit is that kind of the idea but I mean he's the coffee ghost he's a coffee ghost also he, he gives coffee to the boy if he's a ghost how does that work right like because the coffee he can interact with but he can't he can interact also with interact, with, he can with, interact the with the boy he carries him yeah so what is this implying that ghosts can materialize fully and do whatever the fuck they want yeah this one can definitely this a Christmas spirit can. Oh, only the Christmas spirit. But he's controlling the the Scrooge puppet at one point in this movie too, yeah. which is like you know we'll we'll get into it. But that's secretly the villain of the piece we've come to learn. <laughs> uh, yeah. So uh, I just loved how just his character was so interesting, and I thought it was fun. Uh, it's like I I love this guy for some reason. Like okay. whatever it is about his uh, his accent and his uh, hurdy gurdy that he's playing. And like yeah. he asks for the kid's ticket, uh, and then like looks at it and is like, "Oh, this is a good one. This is a good one." Gives it back. He's like you shouldn't let people touch that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like you shouldn't be doing. <laughs> be more careful, bud. Yeah, it's it's just never quite clear what his role is, and it's like just sort of hand waved off after a little bit, you know. And I again, I feel very like I I I wish there was part of me that liked this movie more. I wish I could connect with it because I feel like it's generally well meaning, but also the way that it kind of crams its message in just feels uh, unearned, you know. I always feel very like. Um... I feel like like these messages are disingenuous when they're like, okay, child, you have to believe, but ultimately you're believing a lie. You know what I mean? Right, right, right. And it, oh, what is going on with my voice today? Oh no, it seemed fine up until this very moment. Oh no, no, I understand. I understand what you mean. Yeah, it's it's. Yeah, I don't know. I, I just have such a disconnect with this movie between like I, I do think there are lots of there are parts of it that really are beautiful to look at. You know, there are some impressive uh, technical feats going on here. And even with the grain of salt of like this is a 20 year old movie at this point and like the animation world has evolved a little bit like there are still bits of this that look quite good. 
I just I, I, I just have such a disconnect with it. I find it so I, off-putting in so many ways. I still think it's so funny. Like, on HBO, uh, it's in the top 10 films that are being watched right now. Yeah, immediately, immediately. The moment uh, Thanksgiving is over, it's going to uh, be like Polar Express. Just to clarify, this is the day after Thanksgiving. It's true. I watched it on Thanksgiving. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I watched it last night before I went to bed. Uh, I, I think that you were on to something with once they get off the train, it gets quieter it gets like quieter. up until the final part where it's like oh the whole celebration it gets pretty quiet at points uh whereas yeah. you've always had like the sound of the train you've had back yeah you've had some Sorry. you've had some you've had background noises yeah and then you lose most of that and you just get like the distant echoes of uh, Christmas music as if you're in an abandoned Walmart mm-hmm. uh, yeah <clears throat> Plus, we're having to spend a lot more time with the know-it-all kid who's very obnoxious. And we get the horrifying image of Aerosmith's Steven Tyler as an elf singing that, Christmas songs. I was almost positive that's who that was. That's but who I that didn't is. Wanna, I, like, I did a brief effort of looking it up, and I was like, oh, I don't care enough now. That's him. That's him. And it's okay. it's jarring. It's out of nowhere. And it just really stands out because, you know, that, that guy's... It got a very specific look, and I don't know if it lends itself to this kind of animation. They apparently listen to Christmas music 24-7. Yeah. Oh, God, that would drive me crazy. Yeah. I, I worked at a restaurant once where, uh, you know, we had a Muzak, you know? We had that digital service where it was just going to pipe music through. Oh. This is a pre-Spotify era. And uh, basically every year the owners could decide, like, what percentage of Christmas music that we get. <laughs> and one year they accidentally bought 80%, or, like, they, they turned up to 80%, which... They thought it was like, okay, that's probably a reasonable amount. It was not a reasonable oh, no. amount. It was not. Uh, we, we started keeping tally sheets of how many different versions we were hearing of different songs. Uh, yeah, very irritating. Look, as somebody who's going to be building a Christmas playlist to troll my friends mm. uh, for board game night <laughs> early next week, I'm going to be like, hey, it's after Thanksgiving. It's Christmas now. Uh, there's a point where you, I, I'm not a big Christmas music fan, but I don't mind it. Yeah. But there's a point where you mind it. Look, <laughs> no, matter, a... no matter your opinion, there's a point where you're just like, dear God, I don't care how, I don't care how much you want for Christmas. I just, let me listen to anything else. Uh, yeah, absolutely. There's Look a at, threshold. Play Wake Me Up When September Ends. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Wake Me Up When December Ends. Am I right? Yes. That's uh, no. a sequel song. That's a sequel song. Um, well, okay, so I wanna I wanna jump over to the game real quick. Do we have anything else to say about this movie? I will say that I think this video, this movie is a Christmas. I don't think it's a Christmas classic, but I think a Christmas perennial. Yeah, it's definitely it, it's become a staple, and I think. But I don't know. I think the bar for that is pretty low. I think at this point, people, especially around this time of year with streaming services, they're going to glom on to anything and start calling it a Christmas classic. I'm seeing people try to reappraise Fred Claus right now. <laughs> okay? And, like, let's not go nuts. That was always a Fred shitty movie. Claus? Oh, Fred Claus movie. with Vince Vaughn and Paul Giamatti uh, as San- or Vince Vaughn is playing Santa's brother. And it's just a bad comedy. Same with, like, you know, Christmas with the Cranks, like, Jack Frost with Michael Keaton. These are bad movies. Like Jack Frost to... is such a bad movie that it becomes good again. It's almost like, funny. Yeah, it, it's it... almost funny how bad it is. Especially, do you know the thing about that movie? What? The, they originally cast George Clooney. <laughs> and uh, Clooney, about midway through shooting, is like, yeah, no, this is bad. I'm bailing out. But they didn't change the snowman. Which is why the Michael Keaton version of the the snowman looks like George Clooney. <laughs> so yeah, that's the the that's how good that movie is. Well, let's move on to the video game here. So this video game uh, came out for the PS2 and the GameCube back in 2004, around the time when this came out. It's from THQ, and uh, it's it's implying a couple of things that I didn't know. So. Uh, First of all, like this is similarly to the movie, like this needs to stretch out the basic plot. This needs to stretch out the plot of an already stretched out plot to kind of make it more gamifiable. Uh, and in order to do that, they need a villain. And so they decide that the villain of this piece is going to be the Ebenezer Scrooge puppet, <laughs> uh, which doesn't totally track because even in the logic of the film, we see that the puppet isn't controlling itself. The puppet is being controlled by the ghost hobo or whatever. But... This Scrooge apparently learned nothing 
uh, from Scrooge's usual adventures and hates Christmas and hates all these children and wants to trip them up and take all their tickets and get them kicked off the train. Uh, and so that basically leads to just a series of mini games. You play as the hero boy and you're basically moving from car to car, trying to get to the engine and trying to collect all of the tickets for everybody. And, uh, so basically you just have to do kind of a series of little, uh, mini games, a lot of which yeah. involves kicking balls. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not like jackass style, but like kicking soccer balls and stuff. Um, I mean, so right away, I'm going to say, I think this game looks quite good. We played it on PlayStation 2. <laughs> the animation looks better than the animation in the movie. It kind of does, like, because it is more obviously animation. It's not trying to go for that yeah. perfect, like, uh, uh, accuracy. And let's, let's uh, clarify. It looks pretty good for 2004. Oh, like, sure. It's, yeah. Of the uh, kids kid targeted games it's pretty pretty good looking yeah absolutely um, uh, i just it, it, there's a little bit more care put into this than i was expecting um we also have a a jim hanks special here so uh for those who don't know tom hanks has a brother named jim hanks who basically his career at this point is just being his brother's double in things that his brother doesn't want to do. So like if you have a Toy Story TV special or video game and Tom Hanks isn't available, then Jim Hanks will come in because he sounds reasonably similar to his brother and he'll do the voice. That's what we have going on here. Tom Hanks is still uh, in the cutscenes. They'll show scenes and clips from the movie in this game. But when you're actually in the gameplay itself, it's it's uh, Jim Hanks who is... Uh, I'm going to say slightly less of a prestigious actor than his brother. Just a tiny little bit. The star of Buford's Beach Bunnies uh, is a slightly smaller uh, star than his brother. Have you ever, like, um, during the pandemic, I went back and started watching um, Tom Hanks movies from the 80s. Oh, yeah. They are so risque. Yeah, yeah. Oh, my. Like, Bachelor Party, the whole premise of Bachelor Party is that you didn't want to have sex, like, just don't have sex with a sex worker yeah that's the entire premise of the bachelor party and like everyone was like oh my god this is so wackadoo it's such a difficult thing not to do right yeah even stuff like splash which is a pg movie is still a little uh still a little risque for an early disney film you know that uh, disney plus they edited the version of splash they digitally added hair to her um to cover up her naked butt like so you could see like digital hair like covering her butt in that movie that's pretty funny i think they went back and changed it back to the original uh but yeah no you know i'm a big tom hanks fan in general i mean i i think that kind of goes without saying for most people favorite tom hanks movie favorite tom hanks movie or performance both okay favorite tom hanks performance is captain phillips okay because of that that fine you know what i'm talking about the final scene of that you haven't seen the final scene of that movie is some of the best acting you'll ever see in your life like absolutely phillips the look at me I'm the captain now. Yeah, yeah, yeah okay. that's the one. Yeah, I haven't seen it, but I think that's his best performance personally. Favorite Tom Hanks movie is pretty tough because uh, I love Apollo 13. I love Big. I love uh, Castaway. Uh, I'm going to throw one out there. It might be Castaway. Green Mile. <gasps> Green Mile's okay. I struggle with Green Mile a little bit. The funny yeah. problem with Green Mile is that it's got it's. There's problem. It's problematic. It's got some problems. Is it? It's been a quite a while since I've it's, seen it. It's a it's a magical black person movie, which has been kind of beaten to death in our culture. You know, like it's it's uh, it's got some kind of unfortunate representation, but it's also okay. got a lot of stuff that really works well. Yeah, and a lot of really great performances. Absolutely. I I'm Michael a sucker Jeter. for. Um, uh, Saving Private Ryan. Oh yeah, of course. Uh, but I, it's always so funny because like I feel like some of the best work that uh, Tom Hanks has done is as a producer because I love Band of Brothers. Oh yeah, I used to watch Band of Brothers every December. Tom Hanks is a producer uh, for that. He is. Yeah. Oh yeah. dang. Uh, okay. He's, he's done a lot of really great work for World War II movies. Um, being a producer of yeah, uh, shows. my my roommate loves Band of Brothers, so I've seen it all a few times at this point. Okay. Yeah, I think I only watched all of Band of Brothers once, but I, I did like it. Yeah. But yeah, so, you know, Tom Hanks not present in this game, but what is present is just kind of a series of mini games as you make your way through the train. So uh, what was the first one we did? We had to pair up with a little boy who was afraid of the dark, and uh, he shines his flashlight on Jack in the Boxes as you open them and try to find which one has his ticket. Every three wrong tries, the little boy gets scared, he runs away, and it resets the room. 
Um, so that one was like not the strongest one to start off it, on. It resets the room, but they're all different colors. And so yeah. you have to keep track of which colors you've already checked. Yeah. Because the ticket's going to be in the same color each time. Right. So yeah, it's just kind of a... But they're all uh, different places. It's like a memorization game, yeah. but like it was a little slow pace but i think the one after that where we were kicking soccer balls at the puppets is a little bit more yeah it's more fun like yeah you played well, that one and they have such variety of like of like whether or not this is entertaining or just filler yeah uh and like i really liked the ice game that you played where you were like breaking the ice cream blocks yeah yeah you get like there's a bunch of ice like uh blocks scattered around the room and they're just sort of sliding and you have a little like sort of extendo punching glove to break the ice open and find packages inside and look for the yeah you know there are a couple of little clever things there's a little solid uh tennis mini game where you're like using a garbage can lid to knock a ball back to the uh other guy which ones did you play did, did you play the no i played the one where you're tackling the robot mice uh, yes and uh, then i took over during the food fight oh right and then i kicked a puppet's ass by kicking balls at him yeah it's the second time of kicking balls at puppets except this time it's scrooge himself oh yeah absolutely and he got Scrooged. He got Scrooged There's, good. Like, and the Scrooge is actually pretty creepy. Scrooge, he's a he's a creepy character. He is. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, he's very uh, hand ringy kind of um, uh, cartoon villain mm-hmm. in a way that, like, the yeah. he's he's got a different tone than the kind of the movie has. But you know, I think. This doesn't feel particularly Christmassy in any way, you know. It doesn't feel like it's themed no. in that way. It's no. more just kind of a series of mini games. Well, uh, and we didn't talk about the soundtrack to the Polar Express, but the soundtrack to the Polar Express was pretty solid. I this time watching it, I realized how this is basically just like a lusher, more orchestral version of the Elf soundtrack, right? Mm-hmm. Doesn't yeah. sound like exactly like the Elf theme, except yeah. the Elf theme is going for cutesy. Like it, it's kind of it's nice. It sounds nice. It sounds very like uh, uh, rich and Christmassy, you know. But it does sound exactly like the Elf theme. Um, yeah, and then you hear little snippets of that in this game as well. You know, there wasn't really a lot to say about this game. Like this game did not really offend me one way or the other. It's not particularly. <laughs> it didn't offend me. No, like the Alien games did. Oh yes, no, yes. I mean, some of the games have been actively offensive, but this yeah. one is just like it's it's pretty solidly well, made it's not ambitious in any way and uh, it's so funny going from four weeks of alien to go to polar express because like i do wonder yeah. whether or not our opinions on this movie is a little bit like tainted by our like alien nobody died that was like, i was expecting somebody to die yeah not a single uh, puppet burst out of any of these children's chests at any point yeah. like, i was so disconcerted by that yeah yeah maybe there, it there is, was like... less water in space yeah, because uh, they didn't true. even go to space, so we don't. Uh, maybe <laughs> honestly, it's Schrodinger's water. We don't know how much less, water. Less space drippings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, you know, all of the alien games we played were fairly solid across the board, and we had a pretty good time with those. But like, uh, and you know, and maybe I'm being a little generous to this one, but like, I was. Ex- I've played plenty of games based on movies, of this, especially around this era. I feel like the PS2 era is when they really, really started phoning it in with these adaptations, you know? It's like Except really just... for the Scarface, which is what was still in the PlayStation. <laughs> That's true, yeah, yeah. And that was more of like an extension or something like that. But in terms of ones that are meant to cash in with the release of a current movie, like they tend to be pretty rushed, you know, which is a... a which was a thing. Developers would talk about this a lot. They're like, okay, well, uh, we've got this release date for this movie, which means your game needs to be done by this release date. We want it out the same day as the uh, movie, which often means that, like, okay, we have to scramble. Like, you know, what would be a one-year-long production cycle yeah. now needs to be a three-, four-month production cycle. We, we want the kids to be able to go from the movie to the store and buy the game, or else if it comes out two months later, the... Uh excitement will have gone away. Exactly, yeah, yeah. At the very least, you want to release it day and day with the video release or the DVD release, you know. So, uh, you know, grading on a little bit of a curve, like this one, the controls made sense. Like, I didn't really have any problems with it. The graphics looked pretty clean and simple, you know. They're not 
they're not trying to reinvent anything here, but I think what they pulled off was uh, pretty capable and pretty re- reasonably fun. I feel I mean, like I've played more than one of the early Harry Potter games. That was way worse. So. Oh, yeah. yeah, we'll get to those, yeah. Uh, and it was just like, I like mini games. Sure. So, like, it's just like mini game to mini game to mini game. Like, and I feel like it's definitely um, a, a a game that probably, like, small children, like, five six could easily play yeah oh yeah very much so and it's designed for them like yeah for sure and i you always have to grade a little bit on a curve but i was expecting this to be like interminable and it's really not it's it's mild and it's pleasant and uh yeah, works basically for what it's trying to do it's okay yeah yeah it's okay and the animation is better so it doesn't feel so as uncanny valley exactly yeah we get a little bit of a reprieve with that um all right. I mean, I think that's about all I've got on uh, the Polar Express. Do we have any final thoughts? No, I just wish one of us really liked this movie. <laughs> I, 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 I'm kind of with you. I wish, like, I wish I could go to bat for this movie. I really do. But I think even beyond the creepiness of the animation style, this just has story problems. This mm-hmm. has logic problems. And there's just issues with tone, like, all over the place. Like, some some really, like, cool set pieces, like, in a vacuum, like, that if they're not attached to the movie or the story, like, I think it looks pretty good. It's just uh, frustrating. If you have any children in your life, get them The Polar Express by Van, uh, Chris Van Allsburg. Okay. Uh, it's amazing. Uh, it's so, so good. Uh, it'll give them, like, proper taste for Art Deco. Like, it'll secede it in their bones. Okay. All right. Uh, and then the next obvious course of action is Batman the Animated um, oh, Series. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> Start yeah. with Chris Van Allsburg books. And, and then, then <laughs> move them up to the gothic uh, uh, the adventures of Batman. All right, well, uh, let's move on to the part of the show where we rank the movies and the games that we just watched. Is this a good movie, good game, bad movie, bad game, or somewhere in between? Let's start with Justin today. What do you think? I like how we're adding somewhere in between. I love that because... I'm going to go with okay and okay. Wow. Okay. <laughs> no, that's, you can't do that. because double I, okay. I'm going to rate it okay and okay. Yeah. Ooh. Well, sometimes things are okay. <laughs> okay. All right. Okay. Okay. That opinion's okay. Yeah, that's fine. So that is my rating, okay and okay. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, I'm, I'm, you know what? I'm, I'm sticking more to the binary. I'm going to say bad movie, good game. That's oh, where I'm going. I think okay. this movie does not work. Uh, I think it's it's got some noble things about it, but it just never quite comes together. And I think this game, uh, while not ambitious and not really trying to reinvent anything, I think it succeeds at what it's trying to do and gets the job done and is mildly diverting. So I will I will say bad movie, good game on the Polar Express. And that concludes the first of our month-long installment looking at different Christmas movies. Of course, you're going to want to come back next week because we have a movie that is definitely a christmas movie uh and i'm not even going to litigate 100%. that because I, I i find this argument so tedious and i just don't want to i don't even really, really want to touch it happens on, it. on christmas there's a christmas tree they mention christmas spirit they say ho 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 if it's part of your tradition it counts but i'm <laughs> going to include it in part of my tradition because we're watching die hard that's right we are we are uh, uh purging our negative thoughts about the polar express to talk about Die Hard from 1988, along with the original Nintendo game based on that. So we're going all the way back to the NES. Uh, Should be fun a good fact: time. if you have only seen that movie on TV, they swear. Don't pull it, <laughs> and then you watch it with your parents. There's some tits in that one. There's brief tits. There's yeah, brief there's, tits. there's brief But I got a look from my mother. But your parents <laughs> have seen like, boobs oh, before. I don't know. <laughs> you don't know? I can't be sure. Uh, <laughs> All right, I'm not going to assume. I'm not going to assume. Look, you can't make assumptions. No, I can't. All right, everybody. Well, we will see you next week for Die Hard. Uh, Merry Christmas, and we will see you all soon. Ho, ho, ho. Now I have a machine gun. <laughs> <laughs>